questions and answers. In the scriptures, we hear of many valiant men who have gone through tremendous testing. However, none more than Job. Loss of property, family, and depletion of health brought him to his knees, but his faith was in an ever-present and all-knowing God. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucaran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, let's tune in into the life of Job. You won't want to miss any part of this fascinating study. If you're unable to hear this entire message, all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Here with the conclusion of message three is our host, Pat Zucran. God does work, but often in ways we do not perceive or understand. And perhaps you're going through those times where you may feel abandoned or God is ignoring me. Well, he's not silent. There are ways in which he is moving, perhaps in ways you do not perceive or perhaps you don't understand. And the life application we learn is this that God remains active and his providential care continues to work in our lives in all situations, even when we can't perceive it. And God's ways cannot always be understood, but God's character can be understood. And God's ways are beyond our understanding, and so when we can't see his hand, you must trust his heart. His ways will not always be understood but you can always understand and trust in the character of God. And that's Elihu's great words of wisdom that finally breaks through in this dark tunnel that Job is in now. And it gives him a glimmer of hope to see that there is indeed God at work and truth comes crashing through the darkness through the words of Elihu. Well, in chapter 38 now, finally, God answers Job. And you know what's interesting? is that Job wants to know why. Why has this happened? Why has your hand turned against me? Why, God? And if you read God's answer, God never answers Job's question of why. Isn't that interesting? God probably knew that there was a more important message here that Job needed to hear, that Job needed a deeper knowledge and understanding, not of why, but of who? Job needed a greater understanding of God and his character. And God, instead of answering Job, begins to display his great majesty and infinite wisdom by asking Job 70 questions about his creation. And through these questions, Job begins to understand God in a whole new way. You know, sometimes when people are going through dark times in their life, that's probably not the time for a theology lesson, huh? Sometimes the best time is to sit and empathize with them. And at the right time, sometimes it's best to start just asking questions and get them to reflect on thoughts and re reflect on ideas and, and perhaps come to a realization themselves. And that's what God is doing with Job. He asked Job 70 questions about creation. And through this, Job begins to understand the character, the infinite wisdom, greatness, and majesty of God as he has never understood before. He comes to understand 
God's greatness and his finiteness. And God's majesty and infinite wisdom is displayed through creation. In chapter 38, God is questioning Job about the universe that has been created. And he says here, verse 1, when God finally answers, he says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sung? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for glory? He's saying, Job, where were you when I created the universe and hung all the stars in their place? You know, I just interviewed an astrophysicist on my show, Hugh Ross. And, you know, one of the incredible things to understand is just what a delicate balance our universe is in. You know, for example, the force of gravity is at just the right strength so that our universe expands at just the right rate. You alter that force of gravity just a little bit, okay, 1 over 10 to the 52nd power. That Just that much, you cannot have the universe that we have now. That's how fine-tuned our universe is, that the planets, the stars, are all in, our galaxies are in the right place. So they have, even the galaxies have the right gravitational force upon them as they pull on each other. It's an incredible engineering feat, the design of the universe. The more and more you study it, the more and more you come to understand the incredible genius of God. And God says to Job, Job, can you show me the schematics of how I put each star in place? so that they are the right distance from one another. So the force of the universe and the gravitational force of the planets and the galaxies all work in perfect synchronization. You know, the number of stars in the universe, according to a recent study from the Australian National University, is seven followed by 22 zeros, or 70 sextillion. And God asked Job, hey, can you put all these stars in the right place? Can you make it happen? Can you give me the mathematical equations and engineering formulas that put the universe in order from creation out of nothing to where it is today? Then in verse 16 through 18, he says, Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked into the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. God asked Job, have you searched out the depths of the seas? Even today, we have not searched the great depths of the seas. Some ocean trenches, like the Mariana Trench, go over seven miles deep. We haven't been able to create even a camera that can go down all the way down to its depths. God asked Job, can you search and describe the depths of the ocean? Can you fill the oceans with water and lay out their boundaries? The Earth's crust is the perfect temperature right, that keeps the Earth stable so we can have life. Our Earth's water temperature is at the perfect balance so that we can have life. On and on. The engineering, as you study creation, you begin to realize the incredible genius of God. In verse 34 through 38, he says, Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that 
flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in their inner parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together? It says, Job, do you know how to bring balance to the temperatures of the earth? Can you design a water sprinkler system for the entire earth? To this day, we still cannot control the weather. I remember when I lived in Dallas, I had a yard and just trying to design a water sprinkler system for the yard. I mean, that was an incredible engineering feat for me. But then, you know, I have friends that work at a golf course, and they're showing me the complex watering system for a golf course. Not only the watering, the way you have to design the course so the water drains properly, see? So it doesn't just sit and puddle. The way you have to lay out the sod and the sand and everything so the, the water drains just right. It's incredible. And God says to Job, hey, can you design one for the entire earth? And through all this, as, as he's beginning to ask Job about creation, Job is beginning to understand the great infinite wisdom and majesty and power of God. He's beginning to understand God in a whole new way. In verse 39, he's beginning to ask him about the, uh, the animals. He says, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the doves? Can you number the months that they fulfill? And do you know... The time when they give birth. You know, for millennia, we have not known. Or has anyone seen mountain goats give birth? It's a tremendous mystery, even till modern times. Yet, when you look at the animal world, the incredible diversity of the animals. And imagine, you know, I mean, well, my dad owned birds in a cage. And it was so hard just to keep them alive. You know, and eventually they got away. Imagine trying to feed all the birds of all the world. Try and feed all the whales in all of the oceans. I mean, that's an incredible, ingenious system to feed all of that. The incredible wisdom of God, Job is beginning. And we, as we read Job, begin to understand in a whole new way. You know, when I decided to go to graduate school in Dallas, to prepare for the ministry. I remember that I had, you know, studied the Bible quite a bit and theological works and commentaries and all this. And I thought, man, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to rock the place. All right. I'm going to be a straight A student, man. I'm going to go in there and going to wow the professors over there with my great wisdom and understanding of God's word. And I remember I got there and the first day in seminary, my first class was Greek. And I thought, oh, it's going to be like Japanese school, you know. Japanese school, you spend one month learning the Japanese alphabet, right? Those of us who are there, and many, uh, some of us never learned the Japanese alphabet. But anyway, you spent like a month on the alphabet. So I thought, ah, grad school, probably a week. So the prof comes in, he goes, gentlemen, open your Greek texts. We open them, and he goes, this is the Greek alphabet, alphabet again, I Repeat it. We went, alphabet again. He goes, all right, you got the alphabet, move on. And I said, what? It hasn't even been three minutes. And he started going into all this Greek syntax and all this kind of stuff. And I was just, well, I can barely understand English grammar. And I'm telling you, I walked out of there completely shell-shocked. And then I walked over to theology class, and I said, well, at least this is in English. And uh, I've read something. I, I know all about 
the nature of God. I think this was theology proper. I know all about the nature of God. I've read these books and omnipresent, omni, whatever, all the omnis. I, I got it. Walk in there and the professor, back then we didn't have PDFs and all that. Back then they gave you your syllabus and the syllabus is, is that thick. And he drops and he goes, all right, we expect you to read, you know, uh, the first section. And it's like 200 pages, you know, by next class, which was just Thursday. To, and I was like, what? And I opened it up. And I said, what could there be in here? And I look at them. There are science journals. There are essays from culture. There are all these things in understanding God and people's proper and false perception of God and understanding the greatness of God through science and and I was just completely overwhelmed. By the time I got to my fourth class, man, I was, uh, I was like a walking zombie, just completely overwhelmed. And I came to realize how much I did not know about God's Word, the incredible depth and wisdom of God's Word, and just how deep it is. After the first week, I realized it was a tremendously humbling experience to realize I don't know anything really, about God's Word. At our school, it's a four-year master's, okay? Four years. And after four years of graduating, I realized, I still don't know that much. I hardly know anything about God's Word. I just barely scratched the surface. And coming out of grad school, you, you get a lot more humbled when you realize just how much you do not know and how far you got to go. That's kind of like Job, having heard God and as God walks him through creation, Job, for the first time, is coming under. It's a humbling process where Job understands his finiteness and the infinite wisdom and character, majesty, and the love of God. And so in times of great difficulty, we must take time not to focus on ourselves and our needs and our situation, but that's the time you need to focus on the greatness and character of God. Because knowing the greatness and character of God, that's what will instill hope and peace in facing a future, no matter how difficult things may be. Well, walking through all of this, coming to understand God in a new way, Job humbles himself and gives this response. Then Job answered the Lord in chapter 42, and he says this, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Here and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I have heard of you by hearing of the year, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So in Job's first response in verses 1 and 2, he admits his finiteness after witnessing the power and majesty of God revealed in creation, but he doesn't repent of his pride. Job confessed his finiteness and his sin the second time. Overwhelmed by God's majesty, Job saw anew God's power and sovereignty. And Job states, I know you can do all things. He points to the foolishness of questioning God's ability to govern the universe as he did. And in verse 3, he quotes God's question. He said, who's this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Here, Job was admitting he was wrong and God was right. And he confessed he talked about things far beyond his comprehension, things too wonderful or awesome in creation for him to even know. And in the end, after gaining 
new insight, Job repents in humility, and he said, Therefore I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Coming to a new understanding of God there. Verse 5, I've heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. After understanding God in a whole new way, he says, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job was not guilty of great wickedness as his three friends had charged him with. But Elihu was right in pointing out Job had become bitter and prideful following the loss of his family and his business. And God's answer to Job was to reveal his character, not to answer why. And it's at this point Job was willing to trust God, even though he never got an answer of why. Because now he knew God's character in a new way and realized, no matter what, even if I don't understand why, I can trust him. So although he doesn't receive an answer as to why, Job comes to a new understanding of who? Of the greatness of God. And he has learned in life we cannot demand God to answer us and tell us why. Perhaps someday we'll find out. Perhaps someday we won't. But when we meet tragedy, it's time to trust and allow him to be God. And when you get to that point where you can say, you know what? It's okay if I don't know why, but I'm going to trust you anyway. That's when you're going to start leaving the hurt and the bitterness and the anger behind, and you're going to start coming out of that dark tunnel. You know, my good friend, Pastor Ted Isaki, some of you got a privilege to meet him on the Israel tour. He has seen many difficult days in his life. Many of you who have gotten to know him, you don't sense bitterness or anger in his life, even though all that he has gone through. If anyone has the right to complain, he got the short end of the stick, that'd be Pastor Ted. But you know, despite it all, I don't sense any bitterness or anger in him. Ted and his first wife, Cheryl, were married in August of 1978. Only 12 days later, she was driving and the secondary throttle of her car got stuck and she ended up in a collision that left her severely injured. So she was taken to a nearby hospital in Chowchilla where the emergency room staff determined she needed a neurosurgeon in Fresno, about 30 miles away. On the way to the hospital, a car that had the stereo too loud collided with the ambulance, injuring nine people, but his wife Cheryl was killed in that second collision. So she was 23 and he was only 24. A few days later at the memorial service, Ted shared what Christ had meant to he and Cheryl and gave an altar call. And there were several who made a commitment to Christ. But what thrilled Ted the most was that his sister accepted Christ that day. Well, a few years later, the Lord brought another wonderful woman in his life, Kazuko. And in her teens and early 20s, she was pursuing a career as a professional golfer in Japan. And she played 18 to 36 holes a day. And one day on the way home, a person driving home had too much to drink on the 19th hole, and he collided with Kazuko in the car accident and sent her flying out of the car. The accident ended her golf career, and she was in the hospital for several months. And during that time, she got a bad blood transfusion that was tainted with hepatitis C. Pastor Ted stated, we found out about her hepatitis C in 1996 when we adopted our daughter, Sherry. At that time, we thought we should take out a life insurance policy. 
part of the process was to go on, undergo physical exams. When they took Kazuko's exam, they found that she had hepatitis C. In 2001, she went to experimental drug treatments, but it only made her condition worse. And I got to see her struggle in pain for over a dozen years, as just getting up in the morning was a tremendous struggle for her. How it must have just weighed on the heart of Ted for all those many years. Well, she passed away recently in 2013. Ted said that uh, during the most difficult times, he said that I had gone through with sorrow and grief, those were the times when I experienced the presence of God most nearly. I said, how did you ever keep from anger and bitterness towards God? And he said, well, it was probably two years after my first wife's passing away that I really began to get bitter and angry at God. I began to feel that I had been cheated by God on a close, intimate relationship with a woman, that God had taken something special away from me so quickly. But he said, several months later, I realized I could become bitter or I could become better. I went to counseling and believed that I could let God work it out for good in my life or live in anger and bitterness. I had no control over what happened to Cheryl, but I could control what happened to me. This trial was a test of my faith, and my choice was to let God work it for good. And that helped set me free from the bitterness and anger. And when tragedy or tough times hit, there's nothing wrong with being upset or sad and asking the question, why? Why, God, why? Nothing wrong with that. But eventually, down the road, we need to come to the point where we can say, like Job, like Ted Isaki, I don't understand, but I can trust you through this time and always. Even if I never find out why, it's okay. I can choose to trust you even when I don't understand. And when we meet tragedy, the believers in God meet it with trust. When you can get to the point where Job and Pastor Tedesaki said, I don't understand, but I can trust you that's when you're going to start coming out of that dark tunnel. Because in life, we may not always know why, but we had better know who. We need to have a deep understanding of God and the character of the God we serve. Sometimes even knowing why will not take away the pain. But it's in knowing the character of God that we can finally let go of that pain and trust him and say, man, it's okay, even when I don't understand why. So in life, we may not always know why. That's okay. We can live in peace when we learn to trust his heart, that he is in control. He knows all things. He is just. And he's working all things somehow to bring about his purpose in our lives, which is always for his glory first and our good. We meet tragedy with trust. That's how the people of God are to face those difficult times. When tragedy strikes, You meet it with trust. That's the lesson of Job. That's the lesson the people of God like Tedesaki learned. And when you do, you'll start coming out of that dark tunnel. Well, that ends our time in Job. There are very many valuable lessons from the life of Job. But when life unravels, sometimes we need to stop asking and demanding why, 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 and focus on who. When we meet tragedy, we meet it with trust. And it is then we can leave the pain behind. 
and discover that peace and joy, even through those difficult times, when we stop demanding why and we begin to look at who. When we meet tragedy with trust in our infinite, loving, all-understanding God, that's when you start coming out of the tunnel. And that is the lesson of Job. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the lesson we learned from Job and his struggle. And we pray that we would be like Ted, like Job, and like many other saints, who even though we don't understand why, we can know who. We can meet tragedy with trust. And if anyone's going through that dark tunnel of life now, or knows people who are, I pray that this message and the wisdom that we learn would be of a great and powerful light in that dark tunnel for each one of them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. Be sure to join us next time for the continuation of this exciting show. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ, right here on Evidence and Answers. Oh, 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 oh,